Any redistribution or reproduction of any part or all of the contents in any form is prohibited, except, ah, uh, who the hell are we kidding? Distribute it, share it, put it in your podcast, broadcast it, or put it on social media. Just give credit where credit's due. Welcome into another edition of We're Talking with Craig Moloss on tonight. We got Dave Amato with us and the color guy for the Raging Cajuns, Chris Lano. Uh, Chris, welcome in. Your first time on the on the podcast. Uh, I know you have lots of opinions and lots to share of. Most of them will be wrong, but that's okay. We can deal with that. Uh, <laughs> just mess with me, man. This is actually our fourth podcast on this uh, game. I know Chris has agreed to come on after the games and kind of do a recap and uh, look ahead at the next game uh, going forward. So uh, I think we're going to continue with this where we have the uh, play-by-play guys uh, from the opposing team and then uh, with with Jay Walker on Sunday nights uh, and then uh, Dave's Dave's, uh, version of the the game coming up. So, uh, well, welcome. I'm sorry. I yapped a little bit too long there. No, it's fine. um, I'll tell you, walking in, it kind of feels like um, I'm the visitor, and it's like I have the home field advantage against me. (laughs) You you have a nice little shindig here that's going on, and and I, I appreciate the welcome, and I appreciate the... The um, treat that came along with it, with the Elijah Craig, the bourbon, the rye that you... It it is actually a (laughs) rye, which is an unusual... uh, Elijah Craig just started the rye uh, last last year, so... And uh, I'm already starting to have to put the air conditioner down because... The lights go on and the cameras are on me and everything. I'm starting to sweat over... Oh, we have no cameras, so... (laughs) thing this isn't a pretty group <laughs> yes we all have faith well except for lano the pretty boy lano right. here we well, all we the rest of us have face for radio this isn't cosmetic theater you know, so so, so don't let's worry about that let's let's uh, i don't want to go into a lot of detail because i think we, in a lot of ways the nichols game has been beat down but I, I would like to know your thoughts on that and and what what you think uh what what just talk about it okay we'll go well, from there well, well going into the football game Put aside point spreads because the way point spreads are orchestrated, it's about Vegas making money in drawing up a line to what they believe they're going to receive even money on both sides of the aisle. So Jay and I, when we were looking at the game beforehand, the day before we met up on that Friday preparing the equipment in the in the stadium, you know, he even made a comment, you know, this point spread 26 and a half or 27, whatever it wound up being, it's, it's just ridiculous. It's too much. And anybody close to the program understanding Louisiana plus on along the other side of the field, Tim Rebo and company with Lindsey Scott at the helm. Um, we didn't really know too much about their wide receiver, but we knew about Lindsey Scott. We knew this was going to be a dogfight for at least a half. I'll put it, I'll put it that way. Maybe not four quarters, but going into half. We knew we were going to be into a dogfight. It's a very personal match. We have players that played against each other in high school. Heck, you had players that played against each other in their living rooms growing up. We had brothers lining up against one another. So it was a very extraordinary matchup. Uh, A head coach who spent, I'm going to butcher this number, 14, 15 years in the program, who understands the program well. Understands the players probably well. Probably recruited a lot of the players that have signed to play along for Louisiana. Um, so I looked at it as a matchup, not as a trap game, but one to pay close attention to and not to be overly surprised at the outcome. Now, was I surprised of 27-24 and maybe an onside kick of away from possibly going into overtime or being defeated? I'm a little surprised by that, but... After the game, having to reassess everything that my eyes told me, because my eyes in all my life have never lied to me, Lindsey Scott was the real deal. Evidently, your wife's eyes have lied to her, though, because she (laughs) married you. (laughs) I'm sorry. That was wrong. But not her feelings. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Oh, my God. (laughs) Go ahead. I'm sorry. Okay, but... um, They just threw you off. (laughs) (laughs) But... Going back to what I was saying, he was the best player on the field that night. 
I think what, what we have right. consensus agreement on yeah, this. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I the think receiver, by far. Their receiver was very good. And you can make an argument he was number two. He was number two. So, but, 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 yeah, Lindsey Scott was the best player on the field. No question. So, Lindsey Scott being the best player on the field that night and the way he almost willed his team, if not overtime, but possibly to victory, using his legs on third down, something that we had struggled and we may get into this later on to adjust to. But you have to tip your hat to the other side at some point. And yeah. I give the cr- a lot of credit. To me, that game, when I was packing up and walking up, walking away, just trying to recalibrate everything that I saw, to me, I felt like that game was more about Nichols than it was about Louisiana. Going into next week, or tomorrow, that is, against Ohio, I think it's a great opportunity for Louisiana to turn the page and finally reached our identity of who we really are as a program. And I think we're going to see that tomorrow night. I know you mentioned it during the broadcast, and I do do listen to you guys on the broadcast, uh, that you know Tim Rebo sat in your house to recruit you to come here. So I know that had to be, even though I know you were pulling for the Cajuns, it kind of had to be special to have, have Tim's team more uh, hang with the Cajuns, I guess, and, and show have a nice showing, I guess, would be. The proper term. Well, it actually goes a lot deeper than that. The Rebos and Alanos have, have known each other our entire lives. We, we've been very close friends. Uh, Rusty Rebo, which is Tim's brother, his son, Rustin, uh, grew up alongside my brother playing baseball, prep baseball, won a World Series together, a Dixie Youth World Series back in, two, in 1998. Very close with the family, very close ties. I've known Tim for a very long time it just happens to be that he was the coach who recruited that river parish area who sat alongside in the living room recruiting me so it goes back before even my playing days as a football player the rebos even when mr rusty his brother ran for parish president back in 1994 i believe it was uh or 90 i also was 98 i believe uh, we were um we stood alongside and helped um, campaign for him, and we were a big part of the Rebo campaign. So, then again, very personal, close ties yeah. to the family, and I was happy to see him. I, I saw his wife before the game and his two kids, and congratulations to Timmy. He's going to be a grandfather soon. I believe it's actually going to be his second um, um, grandchild. Or, no, I take it back. It's going to be his first. I believe this is going to be his first grandchild uh, within the next week or two. So, congrat- early congratulations. But it was happy to see his family, and I think he is definitely trending upwards with the program at Nichols. Well, before we get into the Ohio game, let me ask you your opinion on this. With the new transfer rules, does it become more difficult for Nichols to get those guys that are coming from the FBS programs now to come to Nichols? Uh, because they can actually transfer to another FBS school, in your opinion, or do you think some of them still want to come, more or less, come home? I guess would be the would be the the term I'm looking for. It's a great question. It's definitely up for debate, um, and I think time will tell. I think um, I th- I think it could benefit Nichols in a way for what you stated, because a lot of kids, as we see, they don't realize the home factor, what it really means to them near and dear to their heart until they actually leave. So a lot of those kids along the River Parish, when they move away, they don't have their mom or dad, and you know they're away from their family and their friends, and they go out into another area that they are not familiar with, and let's just say they don't get the playing time that they expect at an early in an early state. I, I think a little homesickness can apply to that, and they may want an opportunity to come back home in a place like Nichols, where let's just let's just be honest, they may not have the upper tier talent to begin with. They may have an, an opportunity for immediate stardom, a place to play. So I, I think again, that's a it's a very good question, and we're gonna find out really and truly who this benefits and really uh, affects the most in the years to comes. Uh, in, in, to come uh, as far as the FCS schools or the Power 5 schools or or even the uh, the G5 schools, how the transfer portal plays out. But, you know, you look at the wide receiver from, and I remember you guys were debating this, he was a recruit out of Nichols, out of Ed McCarr. He was not somebody who had transferred over to John Dixon. So that's just a heck of a pickup, and that's just Timmy Rebo doing his due diligence in players, young athletes, young kids, and understanding what makes some athletes click 
at a next at the next level and he has been a star in the makings and somebody we are going to see in the next level very soon. You're listening, we're talking with Craig Malos on Dave Amato and our guest tonight is Chris Lano. He is the uh, color guy for the Cajuns this this season or for the majority of the season. I know uh, we talked about it before we came on air, but you know, it does it seem kind of apropos that, you know, you missed the Ohio game a couple years ago because of flooding in Houston and couldn't make it up there. And so Gerald Broussard had to take uh, your spot on on the trip, and now and Gerald's having uh, uh, at s- some things outside of his reach or out, outside of his uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for there? Too much rye? Yeah, a little bit. No, <laughs> actually, this is the first one. So uh, you know, Gerald's having things out of his control right now, so he's not able to make the games right now. Uh, so does it does it feel kind of kind of be good to be back in well, the booth fr- from the perspective of a color of a color analyst? The irony in that um, you know you go back to 2019, nothing was affected with along with me alongside my family and my home. We just could not vacate the area. Uh, I-10 was closed down along Baytown, which is just east of Houston. And I remember calling Jay that week and letting him know, "Hey, man, I I won't be able to make it out there. It's just I'm stuck. I'm stranded." And I remember Jay broke the news on his radio. We were trying to orchestrate something behind the scenes. Gerald Broussard and myself, hey, man, I need you to do this for me. Can can, can you commit right away? And I sent the text to Jay during his weekly radio show um, over on ESPN 1420. And he broke the news later later in the segment that Gerald Broussard was going to be covering for me that week. And now, fast forward to clocks two years later, I'm filling in for him against Ohio, but we're playing at home. So the irony in that, um, but you know, Coach Broussard, he came in, I believe it was my junior year when I was at Louisiana as the defensive line coach when Sean Quinn abruptly left. And it's probably one, been one of the greatest things that ever happened in my life as a Raging Cajun. Just great guy, just all around. I'll, I've always joked, if Lafayette had a voice, like if like if the town had a voice, it would sound like Gerald Broussard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he is as hardcore Cajun as they come. But and now, now that you say that, though, it reminds me of when I was in school, the Mr. Cajun guy. I mean, he, he kind of looked like Gerald Bruce. It, it, yeah. <laughs> was it was it the chicken? That, no, 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 no. It was a. Was, it was, oh, it that was, was well before your time. Yeah. Oh, okay. It was kind of a big, <laughs> barrel-chested guy that had a. You know, how all mascots do with the big head and everything. Listen, The running joke was it looked like Dr. Audemars. Well, yeah. (laughs) Listen, Gerald Broussard is a living embodiment of of Lafayette. I think we could all agree with that. And I think, and I told him, listen, it's no hard feelings. I even told this to Brian Billy, who played a part in hiring who was going to be the color analyst after the COVID year. I, I even admitted to him, said, look. Gerald's the guy. I mean, he is the one. He is the one people want to listen to. He is he's the one that draws people to the radio as far as from a color analyst perspective. I I, I have nothing against that. And I, I I enjoy listening to him along with Jay. I think they have great chemistry. Now I really don't know what goes on behind the scenes. I think uh, I hear some stories that they want to strangle each other from time well, to time. But <laughs> I'm not sure we really need to go there, do but, you now, Chris? But <laughs> but the thing about color, uh, no. the thing about being a color analyst, you have to be a filler. Yeah. And a lot of times you have to. I mean, I say a lot of times, one hundred percent of the time, you have to ad lib and you got to come up with stuff on the run. And there's nobody better at doing that than Gerald Broussard, and he understands the game as well as anybody else. And he brings a coaching mentality to the radio as well. Now, enough of talking about Broussard. I've I've kissed his ass long enough on this segment, <laughs> but but I I am filling in for him. This week against Ohio, and I want to say I will have probably a couple more games under my belt before he finally gets back. I think we're aiming for the App State game in mid-October on a Tuesday night. I believe that is when we expect Broussard to come back. Look, I think that's a a luxury, right? I mean, the fact that we have Chris who did it all... You know, he's done it before to come in and fill in for that that spot. And Two quality guys, I'm gonna tell you. I've I've worked in the booth with both of them, and I can uh, and I can tell you that both two quality guys that I, I I enjoy. The other guy that does the play by play, not so much at times. You know, he can be an ass, but the other two guys that are in the, did I say that out loud? Are we recording right now? I'm sorry. 
Chris, ser- serious note though, let's talk real, uh, Dave and I have touched on on prior podcasts about the hurricane that came through and everything. Can you just tell us, I mean, you're from that area, you live, you moved back there recently. How, how is your family doing? I know, I know I got some texts from you, but I'd rather you kind of tell what you, what you want to tell. Well, Hurricane Ida has been by far the most devastating for my hometown of Luling, Louisiana in history. Um, more power lines down than not. Uh, an easy way to explain it, it was Katrina, but without the water. The levees did not break, but the entire town was just completely demolished. And it's going to, the majority of it will have to be rebuilt from the ground up. Now, it's moving along very well at an exponential rate. Um, our parish president has been on top of things. And he's already, poor guy, has had experience of this from last year on a minor hurricane. But... He already had his uh, ducks along the row, if that's the proper phrase to use, on how to prepare for something like this, even as devastating. He did his due diligence. He did his due diligence. He absolutely did. Matthew Jewell, to give him a little, give him a lot of credit. Um, but it, it, it's it's going it's going to take a lot of work. Now, as far as my family, my parents' home had just about had to be gutted out on one side, uh, the side where I apparently grew up on. Uh, I know. <laughs> As far as our house, we have been relocated since the day before the storm hit, since the Saturday morning. Um, I, obviously, I'm here in Lafayette with you guys. We yep. plan. We just received power back two days ago, which is great news. I met with the adjuster yesterday, which was Wednesday, and uh, on Tuesday. I'm sorry, Tuesday. And before we can finally move back in, uh, there are some molding we will have to get fixed because obviously you cannot live in a house uh, of that type of situation. It can right. be very detrimental to your health. But overall, we actually came out in comparison to the surrounding area. We came out pretty fair, uh, I must say. At 6:45 approximately p 6:45 p.m. approximately on Sunday. The eye was roughly about 13 to 15 miles west of my hometown, which is, I mean, the the winds were pretty um, seismic at that point. And I think that was the point where it really had us on the edge of our seats of what was going on. And, um, you know, again, don't need to reiterate, but it's going to take a lot of time, months, possibly years to finally get back to where we were. Well, our thoughts and prayers have been with you guys. I have lots of fam- uh, family in the Luling, Hawnville uh, uh, area there, so uh, uh, I know that everybody's struggling. So we're going to take our first commercial break right now. We'll be back with uh, we're talking tonight with Craig Malonso and Dave Amato and Chris Lano. We're back to we're talking tonight, Craig Malonso and Dave Amato and Chris Lano. Uh, before we get started, Chris mentioned uh, an adult beverage that we were having. Dave, what are you what are you uh, sipping on there tonight? So uh, very similar to you and I talking, I believe Monday night. Um, I have a Port Orleans Vice Versa Hazy IPA tonight. Ooh, still as, sounds disgusting. As well as uh, their River Riverfront lo- uh, Lager as well. Sounds better. So. <laughs> Chris and I are uh, sipping on a little Elijah Craig Straight Rye. Uh, Elijah Craig put out their first Straight Rye uh, sometime in the last eighteen months and. And I am very, very happy with it and love it. I know it's burning Chris's throat a little bit, but he's not really a true whiskey man. So, But I appreciate that he's coming into my home and drinking my drink. So, and Not that not that you have to, Dave. I'm just sorry. But, it's you know. only appropriate. Yes. I, I have a question for you, yeah. Craig. Um, so there is a new distillery that's going to be opening in the old Gator Cove. Um Yes. Do you know anything about those guys? Uh, I do know a little bit, not not enough to talk intelligently about it, but that, in, in all honesty, uh, that's never stopped me before about talking about anything because I could I couldn't be intelligent. So I, I met the one of the owners, I guess, at uh, Total Wine last week. Uh, I was in there and they were doing a tasting. Okay. And I had a couple of their different flavors, uh, but he seemed like a nice guy and. They are not currently in Gator Cove yet, but they're yep. hoping to be there soon, and they're going to open it up. So I'm excited to get over there and check it out. Well, as long as it's not like the Texas winds, whiskeys, and I've explained this to uh, our friends over at Fruge uh, Seafood, uh, JT Millet Distillery, that uh, as long as you don't go crazy on the price with a young whiskey, you'll, you, can, you can do well on it. The problem with the te- Texas whiskeys uh, you know they're aged six months, eight months, and they're they're charging you fifty dollars, and 
and I, I don't care. There's no there's no eight month whiskey that's worth fifty dollars. I don't care if you you put gold flakes in there. So well, you're the whiskey expert. So all right, let's talk what we really came here tonight to talk about. Let's talk Ohio. Where do you want to start? Let's start on the offense first. What do you see? Uh, what are we gonna? What what? I mean, you got a big. Young, strapping young lad up there at 6'3", 211, 220, something like that. A big boy at the quarterback position. Seems to be pretty accurate. Your thoughts on what you've seen so far? Well, younger brother of the athlete we faced against a couple of years ago, Kevin Rourke, yep. younger brother of Nathan Rourke. Who's playing in the Canadian Football playing League Canadian now. Football League, yep. BC Lions. That's right. That is correct. So... Um, this knowledge dropping here tonight. There you go. And, um, you know, new head coach, first year. But really, it's the same system. It's they hired from within. Yep. And Tim Alvin, who replaced Frank Solich, they've been together for the past 16 years before. Yep. And actually, they spent many years before in Nebraska. Yeah, he was on the Nebraska staff. That, that's correct. Oh, okay. so, so you're not seeing anything different. There's nothing new. They hired from within. Uh, same new scheme. Same. Uh, a, a lot of the coaches have returned. Um, so, nothing that that's going to really surprise you from what you saw a couple of years ago in terms of just X's and O's from an X's and O's standpoint. As far as their offensive line, if we're going to go through their personnel, big boys. I mean, yeah. they, they average, I did the math earlier today, they averaged 322 pounds per person along the offensive line, uh, led by the big left tackle who's 6'7". Um, not... The most athletic group of the bunch, but they're they're big players. They're big guys. Um, that's going to face a challenge of itself, just the, the physicality that that brings. Uh, but going back to Kevin Rourke, I mean, I like the kid. The problem is there just isn't a whole lot of data out there of him. This is a team that only played three games of all of last year yeah. and wound up going 2-1 and one in those three games. He's a very efficient thrower. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen him run a whole lot. Um, not to say that he won't run a whole lot, but I mean, I, I, I like I, I mean his stature, the way he stands in the pocket. I, I like him, and he has good bloodlines, as we know. We talked about his brother uh, playing for three years before that, or at least a couple years. He was a starter for Ohio under Frank Solich, and we had a lot of respect for him. We played against Ohio a couple years ago as well. Um, the talk was about him on on how he can beat us personally just on his own and I, I think it can apply to this uh, kid as well um, they, they don't really do anything that wows you on offense uh, defensively I, I, I'm looking at them defensively from what I've seen and this is the matchup for I believe for the, the Louisiana offensive line to finally find their identity and get back on track um, is, is there something you yeah, want to no, add to Chris, that? I was going to jump in. I, I, you kind of lead into what I talked to uh, Craig about earlier in the week is um, they, got, they got some issues, right? We're the, the, the really exciting thing is I know we get uh, Carlos Rubio back this week uh, and put people back in the positions they need to be in. We had people moved around. Because musical Rubio, chairs. Yes. Right. We were right. doing some musical chairs. And I think that hurt our offensive line a little bit. Um, it did. Um, but but more importantly than that, this team and I, I went through it when I was doing my breakdown on them. Um, three of their four leading tacklers are safeties, mm -hmm. which means that they probably have some issues up front. Mm -hmm. I, mean, I really believe their front seven is not going to be as good as anybody we've faced so far, including Nichols, right? And I think I think the Cajuns have an opportunity to really try to run the ball this week. Mm -hmm. and, and, and show their dominance up front. And I think if they do that, they could open up a lot of opportunities for Levi and, and the rest of the offense. Well, take it from me, because I mean, film doesn't lie. I, I've watched the last couple games. They have a front four that they cannot rely on for a pass right. rush. Right. They have to rely on the blitz to get any sort of pressure on Levi Lewis for tomorrow night. They're just not a... They're, they're, I, I, am I going to say are they're good, they're average? They just cannot. They don't have a true pass rusher all on their sacks defensive front. In two games. Right, and, and I think a lot of those those and sacks could be those sacks could be a little bit of smoke and mirrors as well. Uh, but the, you cannot rely on the front four to get a pass rush. I think it's it's a good opportunity. The only consistent player we've had along our offensive line, and I mean that defining that in a way as 
somebody who played truth to their position throughout the course of the two games, never had to switch, right. was Shane Valor. Shane Valor. That's it. Everybody else has moved around. You know, we've moved Osiris Torrance and Max Mitchell from the right side, bumping them over. Max played a little bit left tackle, and then Osiris went to right tackle. We moved Ken Mark. Like a true we, freshman, right? We, at, you know, on the right. offensive line, right? Not that he's not talented, but he was he was filling in for a guy who's right. been on the team. But but, but we looked at the depth chart. Carlos Rubio is coming back. It's a guarantee, and that is a major plus. And you have to also, you know, understand this. We're going into this year without Rob Sale. Yeah. And he's in the NFL for a reason. And I think Jay and I, we agreed, and this still could be the case. If something were to happen to Billy down the road, I think Rob Sale could potentially be that one person that we call first. You know, he I think taking a head coaching position, um, you know, you you look at the salaries that are now being distributed to the coaches. Uh, you, you look at what Billy has been making the you know this past season. As something, if we can make a sizable offer to let's say to a Rob Sale to deter him away from the NFL, I mean that's something that he would everybody would like to have that head coaching opportunity. So and that, that's just me speculating. I don't really know. I have nothing to back that up. Well, but, that, that being said, you're you're absolutely right. Look, we got three things. We had musical chairs on the offensive line. Mm-hmm. We were missing our, our, our offensive line coach, right? I know he was listed as offensive coordinator, but the reality was he was the offensive line coach. And you have, you're breaking in three new running backs, right? Wow. And, and Chris Smith, I know he played, but he's been in the shadows of two really good players, or three really good players for a long time. Yeah, it, it's not, it's not, you can't just say we're breaking in three new running backs. You have to add in the important detail that the two running backs that you've lost are on, on NFL teams right now. One of them as the premier back for the San Francisco 49ers. Not to make, no, no, no. And you're absolutely look. Chris has been in the program a couple of years now. Yes. Chris was behind Raymond as well. So you really have three NFL caliber running backs mm-hmm. that he was back. Correct. Up, right. Correct. So, so you're absolutely right. I think one of the big issues that you see is, and and two of the three guys are freshmen. Mm-hmm. Right, I mean, one's a, a a second year freshman, one's a true freshman, and the other guy's a sophomore. And we the, got three. And the really true freshman, and Jay alluded to this on the show with you, Craig, the other day. Another point that I brought up to him that he stole from me. Wow! <laughs> <laughs> Is Jeez, that every th- time? Thanks for throwing me underneath the bus here. There. <laughs> Is that, to this. is that every time we had to rely on that one critical yard on fourth down, we have called upon the true freshman running back in Montreal yes, Johnson. Exactly I right. find that has been very glaring. And that's that just speaks volumes of what Billy thinks of this kid or maybe what lack what maybe lack of faith he has in the other two I, on being able to run in between the tackles. I also noticed something else on the on the uh, depth chart this week. Terrence Williams has been listed on the depth chart. And now he's he's listed behind TJ Wisham, but he has not been on the depth chart at all and mm-hmm. he's another true freshman that's going to get a chance maybe to see some action this week and and I know they were high on both of those two freshmen coming in this year. So I think, look, down the line, those two might be the guys that we see carrying the ball two, three years down the line. But, but yeah, they, look, we got a young running back core. I mean, there's no question. And they're not Elijah Mitchell, and they're not Trey Regis, and they're not Raymond Calais. No, right? no, it, it's <laughs> and that's much. Not, that's not saying anything bad about those three guys. Those guys. No, it, it's not. It, well, listen, look, the point that we're trying to make, it's a testament to how good those two guys were last year. Yes, and you, you, you rewind the clocks to two years ago, you had three running backs but all in the NFL in your backfield. And you were you were inter, you were using them interchangeably throughout the course of the year. Therefore, they had fresh legs every time they stepped onto the football field. That was a luxury. And not only that, but if you look at the history of this program, now we're going back two years ago with not only three running backs, but in the NFL. But if you look at the history of this program, and I, I, I like for you to step in if you disagree, but I, I did my homework on this. Um, so you can but, disagree, but you'll be wrong. But you will be wrong, right? That's Jay so, Walker coming to you live. If you go, if you try to rank the greatest offensive lineman in the history of this program, going back to its existence, you can argue that one and two played like side to side one another 
for four straight years. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and so. Kevin Dotson and Robert, and, and Robert Hunt. To me, I can't think of anybody better than those two. And you had them together at the same time, anchoring the right side of the yeah, line. I, I, yeah, I, so you have them two, a second-round pick and a sixth-round pick, who, which many can argue now was, was a steal into the draft, was a first-team AP All-American with three NFL running backs in your backfield with an alpha male who also is catching footballs in the NFL, in you you had that thoroughbred at the wide receiver position in Jamarcus Bradley, so, and I think it, it, I, I I feel like I'm segueing now into Levi Lewis into the offense today. You know, you can understand why there could be some troubles now from the quarterback position, you know, because of the luxury of weapons that I don't think people were exactly aware that we had two years ago. I I definitely agree with everything you said there. I. I I would almost argue that we could put a couple of offensive linemen, but never to have two guys that good together at the same time. I don't think there's. I, 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 I argue if you single them out, no, nobody's better. Yeah. I, I, I don't think anybody's better. I don't think two have had that impact in the NFL. You're listening to We're Talking Tonight with Craig Malonso and Dave Amato and Chris Lano. Chris, I know you brought up earlier about watching film. I know. When I'm in the booth doing the spotting, I don't really get to see the game because I'm so focused on a particular thing. How much do you rely on going back and watching the, the game film of a game? Not just looking ahead, but looking back on a game like the Nichols game that just ended. You know, There's lots of things we can pick about that if you want, but at the same time, how much do you rely on going back and watching that it's game a, film? It, it's a great question. Of course. I, I can never give you my analysis after a game. I can't. That's that's a fair question. I'm glad you asked that because I am too honed in into what I'm seeing to how how I'm I'm exhausted at the end of the night. I I am. I I am exhausted. And to me, it's more of a job for me on Saturday nights or in this case Thursday night where I'm trying to point something out to fill in in between the break from when Jay takes his time off. I'm doing a job. I'm doing it, and it's hard for me to break down exactly what I saw from a fan perspective. Because when I, after a game, I call upon a lot of my buddies, and they're telling me, "Yeah, man, this, you know, this happened on this." You know, we. we I'm thinking, man, I must, I missed all this. I, I didn't see all this. I mean, for it, me, there are times that you know when I've got that binocular on, and I and I'm I'm watching the game, and I'm looking for the ball and doing this and everything. So I don't see everything that happens around it. But all of a sudden, I'm like, man, did you see? Nick Ralston with that crackback block, and I'm going like that was freaking. And he knocked out three guys, and all of a sudden, then then you then you go back and watch the game, and the and and the uh, the announcer is going like, watch this, he gets this guy, he gets this guy, and, he, and I'm just going like, so. But it, but you, I mean, to me, it's just, I think it's so much. People don't understand that. Yes, it's it's fun being in the booth. Don't get me wrong, I love traveling with you guys and doing this, but it's also a job. I mean, it really is. It, it's a job. It's mentally exhausting and. I've learned to tone it down during the week. I felt like my first year, especially, I was over-preparing myself. I was exhausted by game day. And a lot of the notes and the information I had on hand, and I'm talking to concrete notes that I had on display in front of me, I mean, 90% of it I wasn't even applying to to Saturdays. It it, it took me a while to understand that, that, hey, man, you got to tone it down. Spend more time with your kids. it's, It's not worth what you are doing. But when I'm in the role of a of a color analyst on Saturdays, let's just use you know let's just uh, use Saturday for example. Yeah. I know we play on just about every day of the week right. this year. <laughs> Saturdays, so, college football. Exactly, uh, college football. That that is true. But I have to specifically watch something because I have to go in and say something specifically on the air, and I have to be precise about it. And I try not to mess that up. Therefore, I can't necessarily see things as as a whole. It's hard to explain. I think you kind of know where I'm coming from, yep. but I watch the play. I watch how it how it forms. And the best thing for me is when I'm in a venue like Texas was a great example. You had a screen that was about ten seconds behind, so after you saw the play, you can go ahead and watch the screen, expecting knowing what's going to happen. Therefore, you knew right away where to where put to your eyes, yep. right? Where to look, where to put your eyes, to where you knew what to say. Going into and, and we don't have that luxury at Louisiana. Yeah. We have a screen, but a lot of times, the majority of the times, we don't get the replay. And it's not even in our booth. We're it's looking, not, we're it's, looking it's, across. It, exactly. We're looking through the glass wall yeah. into another booth. Exactly. 
So, all right, you're listening to. Uh, we're talking tonight again with Craig Malonso and David Malonso. Uh, Chris Lando's our our very special guest, uh, color color guy for the uh, the Cajuns. So, let me ask you. Uh, you 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 mentioned. Uh, I, I'm assuming you were. I, I don't think we mentioned the name directly, but Jamarcus Bradley. I'm assuming the receiver you're talking about, that alpha male that 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 Levi had. Let's talk a little bit more about our offense then. Uh, do you? I mean, how much is that hurting him not having that guy, or maybe early on in the season not knowing who that guy is going to be, maybe, and not knowing who he needs to look for? Do you think you think that's part of? I won't say issue because I don't think, in my opinion, I know we disagreed uh, somewhat about it. I, I don't think Levi has played, I, and I shouldn't say we disagreed. I don't think Levi has played that bad, you know. It, it's so. a, it's an honest debate. It, it's, it's fair criticism uh, if you think he hasn't played up to his potential. The problem is for me is you hear a lot of talk going into a year or when you're talking, you're trying to break down the offense of Louisiana. And I'm getting to a point now where when you're trying to describe Levi Lewis and people use the phrase dual threat, I am now at the point... He is not a dual threat quarterback. I've never seen it. His, He's not. his whole time here. He's and I was, he can be. He can be. If he now can. you can be. You know, He's and, not. and if and if I had junk, you know, my uh, I would be somebody's sister. You know, yeah. but that's not the case. So wait, 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 wait. If I did, if I did, we're moving on. We're moving on. If I did not have junk, yeah, we're moving on. Oh, I butchered that one. About to mute this everybody's microphone. We're moving on. We're not going. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you would have, could have, you should have, you know. But he's not. We, 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 we haven't seen that for three straight years now. So I have now just dismissed the phrase of calling him a dual threat quarterback because you know the data is out. He has now played four years into this program. I say four; he's been the starter for three. He played a little bit for now. Well, actually five, if you consider the year from for Hudspeth, where he got a little bit of action time yeah. as a, as a freshman. But he has Which not I shown was a horrible mistake. Yeah, well, that's it's, a whole other issue. Debatable. It's it's another issue for another day. Yeah, but. We have not seen enough from him, and we can break down uh, the X's and O's and what that deters us from being as an offense. Uh, one of the big things for me is when you have a quarterback that does not show the ability to run the football, a lot of times you'll see defense going to cover one man press along the outside. Now, why is that? When you're playing man press, when you go into a football game, I guess that you, wasn't a question though. And you know, you it, was, why. it was rhetorical. <laughs> yes. Sorry. So again, you're not you dealing go, with Einstein here. <laughs> so when you go into man press, you have to turn your back along to the quarterback, even though you know your guy is better than their guy. You're going to shut him down because you're not afraid of the quarterback taking off into the pocket uh, against. Okay. So. And you saw that when I went back and I and I reviewed the film against Texas, you saw a lot of that along the outside, where they pressed along our our along our wide receivers from their cornerbacks. So you don't you see very little zone coverage, and when you have very little zone coverage, it doesn't allow our wide receivers to use their athletic ability to fill into the holes of trying to find those open areas. Um, so it, it, it makes things so much more difficult from that standpoint. And you're not keeping the linebackers honest as well, but but go ahead. Okay, no, I was just going to ask, how much of that, though, is in, in the case of Texas, I will say, which I think is a whole different ballgame than playing Nichols, how much of that is that they have better athletes than us, too, it, it, even on, on defensive corners compared to our receivers at this point? In their careers, no, there's no question. I mean, it's Texas. They're going yeah. to have. We knew going into the game, you know, despite the experience factor, they are going to have better athletes. They were going to have more thoroughbreds to our horses, you know, put okay. it that way. But I will also say that Levi did not do the offense any favors, especially when you look at that first possession when he was rolling out to his left, and I think that's a great example, and it kind of set the tone of what he was going to be for the remainder of the game, and he kept waiting. He stood behind the line of scrimmage, and he kept waiting for his guy to get open. Just duck your head and get the first down. Move the chains. Keep the offense along the field. And, and, and that's what I was going to ask you from your perspective, because you've, you've got a different perspective than Craig and I. Um, 
because you played the game, right? You played it at the at, at the college level, but in I your played the NCAA 2014 or whenever the last. No, right. I'm in your in your opinion, and this is just your opinion because obviously none of us know. Uh, is this Levi making this decision, or do you think they're practicing that Levi throw the ball first? You know, where is that coming from? Because I think Levi wants to be a passer. I I, I believe that in my heart, but I don't know if he's being coached to to play that. Way. I think. You know, you ask the diehard Rage of Cajun football fans. To me, that's the million-dollar question that everybody doesn't really know. And I, and honestly, I can give you my calculated, my best calculated answer on that. But I, I think it's I think it's all working from within. I don't think Billy wants his quarterback to run. And I think he's actually Cody and I were talking about this a few days ago. And I will have to go back to the to the time when he made this comment. But uh, Cody, you know, he had mentioned that. The word was out there that Billy once made the comment out there along uh, during a presser or whatever it was that he doesn't want his quarterback running the football. He wants him to stay in the pocket. He, I don't think he wants to risk his quarterback getting hurt. And you can tell, you can see it, that even when Levi does decide to run the football, he looks very indecisive as he's running. Uh, almost as if he's second-guessing himself instead of just being committed just tuck the ball in as a running back and just yeah. go. Instead, if you notice the way he runs, he, he almost like he wobbles like a duck. He goes side to side. Yeah. He can't decide what he wants to do. He's he's not committed. And you go back to the time, and this still bothers me to this day. You go back to 2019 against App State at home on that critical third down play, where in the fourth quarter, we're going from the south to the north end zone, and he's running to his right. Mm-hmm. And he's got to pick up the first down. You may not remember the play specifically, but he doesn't get it. And during that time, I remember it before he got to the sidelines, it looked like he was juking his own shadow. There was nobody out in front. Right. J- just be committed. Just go. Yeah. You've got four. You've got quality four, five, four, six speed. Yeah. Just go. Just get the first down. Understand the game. Move the chains, and you live. You know, for another sequence. Craig and I talked about this a little bit. And look, I I, I like Levi. I like Levi a lot. He's a great kid, and and, yeah. the, and they love playing for him. Right. And this is coming from a player from within that I I've become become very fond with that I know personally. The kids love playing for him. Yeah, great and, athlete. And, and I look, I think he makes a lot of really good decisions. I, there's no doubt he does a lot of good things on the football field. Sometimes I just step back and I go, man, I wish he would step. There were a couple of plays in the Texas game that I said it. I was standing, I was watching the game from you know a million miles up in the air, and I'm thinking, man, he could have run and gotten five yards. Instead, he tried to throw the ball, and he he got through an incomplete pass. He threw it out of bounds. All right, you're listening. We're talking. We're going to take another quick break here, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the defense and see what. Uh, Louisiana has to do on the defensive side, and not only that, how, what we can expect from Ohio. So again, we're talking. Welcome back to We're Talking. We're going to do our final episode tonight. Uh, Craig Malonso, Dave Amato, and Chris Lano, the uh, the color man for the the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. Chris, let's talk defense, both sides of the ball a little bit. First of all, let's talk high level here. Uh, what do the Cajuns need to do to stop? Where, where are the Bobcats' strength on offense? What do, what do the Cajuns need to do on defense to stop that? I think their strength on offense is their quarterback. Uh, although we don't have a lot of data on him to this point, I still think Kevin Rourke is a good player. Big big body that sits in the pocket. Uh, has a very strong arm. I think he has a stronger arm than his brother did a couple of years ago, Nathan. But I, I think he is the, the key to that offense. Um, I, I don't think they have a lot of special a lot of special talent surrounding him, at least to this point. Uh, offensive line is very suspect. Uh, they're they're average. They're just a bunch of guys um, um, along the line. Big guys. They average 322 pounds per person. We, th- we alluded to that earlier. So are, are we looking at, and I made this on, I was on uh, Top's program, uh, Top Hand, uh, with, with Russ uh, Eisenstein, not Einstein, and I'm not an Einstein, so let's we'll, we'll, we'll get past that at some point. Uh, but is it to me, Mac 
the MAC teams seem to be more of like Big Ten football, where the Sun Belt, and again, I'm not comparing us to the SEC, uh, more SEC football, more wide open and things like that, where the where the MAC is still kind of the big guys that are kind of left over from the uh, the Big Ten. Is 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 that kind of your thought? I'm or I'm off. I mean, you can make it. You can make that point. It's a strong argument. Uh, really, outside of the Big Ten football, all you really have is the MAC. Um, and but I think the Sun Belt has propelled, um, has has really made its strides to become possibly the second best G five conference out there, which have hasn't really been the case in the years that even when I played, I, I think uh, overall from top to bottom, the Sunbelt has better teams than the Mac, and I think we're going to see that tomorrow as well. I mean, th this Ohio football team, you go back for the last 12 years, they have not had a losing season. Um, and they're they're facing 0-3 to begin this year's yeah. campaign. So it's worse than that, they got Northwestern after yeah. they and they, and, and so this, this they is, could easily be 0-4. This is game one of a three-game slate on the road yeah. for um, their for Tim Tim Alden and his his crew. So they could possibly str I mean, it's very possible they can be going into this year 0-4. But of course, obviously, this Louisiana team will have to say something about that uh, first. Now, going back to the defense for Louisiana, yep. it, look, it's, it's you know, you don't really want to put, you don't, I don't really want to sugarcoat it, but if this defense plays their game, and I think, you know, we talked a little bit off the air, Craig, you and I, of how they performed against Texas opening week. I, I thought this team played very well. I, I thought they gave it all they got against the Texas front. That was pretty strong against a quarterback in Hudson Card who made a lot of big plays on third down against a running back who, at least to this, going back to what he did last year and what he did week one against Louisiana, was definitely a Heisman contender. And uh, a, a wide receiving core in Whittington and and others who are, are actually pretty well. And they're, they're good players. And, you know, we can make the case that the offense during that time could have done more things to get off the f to stay on the field and allow this defense to have more rest. But I think you go all you move you fast forward it to Nichols. They gave up the big touchdown to start the game, and they really haven't given up any points since then. Uh, they give up a lot of yards, but you know I'll take a defense that bends and does not break any day of the time. And yeah, I think the Nichols game, the score was not, uh, to me... It wasn't indicative to where, how the game uh, was really, how it really and, outlined, yes. And, and honestly, at the same time, I've been watching Cajun football since about 1980, and I thought this was the first time, even though we beat Texas A&M, we beat some, you know, we beat Kansas State, State or somebody like that. My, my senior year. Yeah. Oh, was it? Yes. Oh, congratulations. But, you know, besides those games like that, and even then, I'm not saying we, we – this is the first time because I remember going to Auburn and I felt like we gave Bo Jackson the Heisman. And I know I know this is not <laughs> what happened because I looked it up, but I really felt like Bo Jackson ran four times and had uh, – or he ran six times and had four touchdowns. They took him out of the game because he had 300 yards. But I know now, going back and look at that, he had, he had 12 or 14 carries and four touchdowns and 300 yards. But still, my point being – the Texas game was the first time I think in my history of, of the of, of nearly fifty years or right at fifty years that I felt that we looked like we belonged on the field with the Texas team. I, yeah, I, I I definitely agree with that. I, I was there and I got to see it live. I, I totally agree with you. I don't think we were. I, I think there was a little bit of being shell shocked by playing Texas in front of a hundred thousand people, but I don't think the team walked out there and said, "I can't hang." with Texas this game, and I, 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 I really believe that. Well, the one thing I wanted to walk away from Dalkey World Stadium that day is I wanted to walk out there thinking that we matched up and we belonged, and I think you guys nailed it on the head. There's no question about that. We definitely belong that Saturday night. We have the bodies up front, and when I say up front, within the trenches, because that's where games are won and lost, up in the trenches. And with the Talon Humphreys and even the Zion Hills, who is a smaller type nose uh, nose tackle or three technique, he's as good as a three technique as I've seen maybe well in the history of this program from what I've what I've got to see the last couple of weeks. You know, Zion Hill is one that I that I, I just was amazed because I met him in Sunbelt Media Days, and I I mean 
he, he's six one. I mean, I I I thought he played six seven, six six, six seven. It, right. It just kind of shocked me to see that he was six one. But the Texas game, he did not make a whole lot of plays because I think he was double teamed. He was a lot. double teamed. Right a lot now, now Appalachia State a couple of years ago, they had a defensive tackle named Myquan Stout, mm-hmm. if you remember the name. Yep. And they liked it's the kind of players that they recruited. It was a smaller type uh, nose tackle, three technique, because of the way they move laterally, and it allows your linebackers to make plays because of just how quickly you were able to move from side to side, filling in the gaps. Zion Hill is Myquan Stout, but better, except he actually makes plays. Yeah, he makes a lot of plays, and from what I've seen. If sports writers were not lazy, and I say this in a way that at the end of the year they're stat driven. Yes. They look they look at the sheets, you know, because they don't have time to review what what teams did. Plus, they're not they're not watching what teams did for twelve games, but they're stat driven. They look and see who had the most sacks, uh, who had the most uh, quarterback carries. But if you really watch what Zion Hill does. To me, he's the MVP, not just of this defense. He quite boss, he could quite possibly be the MVP of the league of the Sun Belt when when years come. Let me let me correct something here. I said fifty years, and uh, obviously I've had a few adult beverages. It's only been forty years. Forty but, years, but still, uh, it seems like uh, much longer through some of the losing seasons. But you know, it, you bring up a great point because I think we get misled so many times by stats going back. Let's go back to Pittsburgh in the 80s. You had a guy named Ricky Jackson and Hugh Green that were on the same team. Well, Hugh Green was a number one pick. Ricky Jackson wasn't. And what turned out to be that the Saints saw that nobody else did by looking at film was that the reason Hugh Green was making all the the tackles was because Ricky Jackson was being double teamed. Mm -hmm. So they knew what was And who ends up being in the Pro Bowl or the... uh, Hall of Fame, or at least the Saints Hall of Fame. No, he, no, he, he, he did make it. He, he did. He did. Okay, he did good. In 2010, he was elected okay. to the Hall of Fame. Which as, is good. As, as the first Saints player ever to be yes. elected to so, the Hall of Fame. So I told, I told Craig this um, in one of our earlier podcasts, and, and you probably, and, I, and they're not even remotely similar players, but there's a guy who reminds me of Zion Hill, not physically, because he was they were similar in height, but that was about it. But he always seemed to be around the ball. Remember Derek Dean? Yeah. for the Cajuns. Yeah. He was a smaller nose tackle that always seemed to be involved in plays. He didn't make the biggest play, but he and he didn't have huge stats. That's Zion Hill's that kind of guy. He gobbles up enough people on the on the front line that people behind him make the plays and end up being and it, it's it's disappointing because I think you're right. People are going to miss out how good Zion Hill is. Now, I I've been thinking a lot about Zion Hill based of what I saw against Nichols and what he did against Texas. So I did a little research of players in the next level of the similar stature, of that similar height, similar body build, that were successful in the NFL. Now there's one player, a little trivia for both of you, let's see if you can name him. You probably can. There's one defensive tackle who, he's actually the only defensive player, I believe, to go undrafted and make the Hall of Fame. And he was a defensive tackle among, amongst a similar physical stature of Zion Hill. Wow. A smaller guy, 6'2", played in the middle of the defense. Who was he? The only one I can think of is maybe Huey. Uh, is he Huey Long? Not Huey Long. What's <laughs> Howie Long? <laughs> no, yeah. Howie Long was big. No, he's, he's big. Well, well, that's why I thought he was bigger, but I didn't know that he, he wasn't drafted that high at the time. Well, he wasn't drafted at all. I'm talking, okay. This guy was undrafted. Well, that's what I'm saying. I, I didn't know if Howie Long was drafted or not. I know it was one, he, was, he was a find, is John, my point. John Randall. Oh, yeah. John Randall. John Randall yeah. for the Minnesota, Minnesota Vikings, Vikings for a yes. long time. A hell and he of a was player. A, and he was a disruptor. And he, he was, was a, a hell of a player. Now, he was 6'2". Leroy Glover was another Leroy name. Leroy Glover. I was sorry, now, yeah. now, he's not in the Hall of Fame, but right. he's yeah. somebody I thought of when watching Zion, Zion Hill. Because I remember he was a smaller type 3 technique for the Saints, 6'1". And I'm, I'm starting to think, well, Zion's right at that 6-foot mark. And, and that 1-inch makes a big difference. But does he still have a shot? That can he have a shot at the next level? I don't know. I, I don't know. I'd love to see. I, it. I but I, but I, I'd, I'd like to see it. I really. Would. I think athletically, he's he's, he's athletically he he's might there. he might be our best athlete yeah. on the field. Now remember, he was. Well, I say remember. You may have not known the beginning. With he was a running back at Catholic. Oh, I did. He, not ra- know he that. ran the football for Coach Endes over at Catholic New Iberia. So he, 
we we're gonna have game. Brent on one time. I need to I need to call him and say, get your butt over here and let's let's talk some Brent, sports. Brent has a lot of inside yes. knowledge of a lot of these kids that are playing right now for Louisiana, and that would be a good listen. A you know, um, listen. but but Zion to me, I, I I agree with you totally. I think if he doesn't get a chance, there are some teams that are making huge mistakes by not giving him that opportunity. Because I think it, it like you, we talked about Dotson, who ended up dropping to the fifth or sixth round as an as a consensus All American, and I'm going we're going like, what's going on here? I mean, he was like the lowest draft pick out of a consensus All American, that that uh, of on the on the line I mm-hmm. should say right out out of people. So it's just it's very frustrating on that sense. But um, if if teams do their due diligence, I think that you're going to see that there, that, that Zion gets to play at the next level. Now, I will tell you, he is, all like some of the guys that may be listed at, at their height, he is, I'm six foot, and I know he is taller than me. So I, But when, I, when he walked up at media days, and Jay and I had this conversation, I'm like, man, I thought that cat was bigger. And but he's standing next to uh, Max Mitchell, Max Mitchell, right, and Billy Napier, right, and they're taking pictures. Billy's in the middle, so you know, mm-hmm. two guys that are not short, right. So he looks small, and then he walks. Out, I said, I said, I'm sorry to do this, but can you stand next to me? I'm checking out the height over there, and he go, I'm like, I said, okay, I said, but you still you play so much bigger. Yeah. I don't get. I mean, I just don't get it. And one on one against Texas. He manhandled his opposition, yeah. as as well as getting through blocks on a double team as well. So you're right about playing bigger. He does not get pushed behind a line of scrimmage, and he's always moving forward. Even a little guy. Now, listen, I, we used to tell guys back when I was in high school. Um, our coach used to say this. You know, the biggest disadvantage that you have as a defensive lineman is your height. Yeah. But you know what the biggest advantage is? Your height. Yeah. Your height. Exactly. And, and because of that level of gravity. Uh, you have on these players of your, your your ability to get underneath. Um, it's just you, it's just something a lot of people just don't quite understand. I, I will tell you, meeting Max Mitchell and, and Zion Hill at Media Days, I've met a lot of athletes that have come through here through the years, and I will say there there might be one or two that might be I like better, but these guys are right up there at the, at the top of the list with the uh, Bryce Washingtons. The Dylan Moores, those those cats that Brian Mitchell's, the guys that did it right. I mean, mm-hmm. they they those two were up there, and I, I know we, we 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 totally went away from what we were talking about here, but at this point, I, I really don't care. I, I have a question for Chris uh, specifically about Ohio's defense because I've I've done a lot of research on their defense, and I, I want to get your perspective on this because um, just looking at. Oh, I, I, I watched the Duquesne game, and I don't know if you had a chance to watch Ohio play Duquesne last week. I have not. Um, uh, it's not on YouTube. Uh, yeah. Very little highlights that are available yeah. online. I, I was lucky, and it was an afternoon game, and the Cajuns didn't play until later, so it was. I had it on while I was watching something else, and I got to see a lot of their defense because uh, their defense was on the field for 41 minutes. 41 minutes, yep. And, which is insane. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I've ever seen a football game. Mm-hmm where one team has been on the field for 41 minutes on defense. But I I guess I don't know what you've seen or what you've read, but what do you think of that defense? I mean, I know we touched on it earlier in the the conversation. Well, well, like I I alluded to earlier, games are won in the trenches. So really when I'm looking at – when I'm trying to break down an opponent to prepare for a broadcast event, I'm I'm mainly looking at their front and – there's nothing that they do that wows you. Yeah. That just makes you say, oh, shit. Um, they have to bring in extra pressure in order to get pressure on the quarterback. And I think it could be a day where Levi Lewis is, is sitting in the pocket just allowing uh, things to, to formulate in, in the secondary for, for his guys to get open. It could be a long day for that for that defensive line going forward. And, again, I, I think this is the game where – our offensive line finds their identity because yeah. we need to. And, and you, as you could see, unless you've heard, you read, you know, you read the tea leaves going into this week. How nobody was happy after that victory right. against Nichols. And I think from that point on, from Saturday night on, it was all about business yeah. going into this, I, I, into I, a short week. I think you're right. And and look, I, I you know, I, I did not see them play Syracuse, but they lost twenty nine to nine. They did not score an offensive touchdown mm-hmm. in that game. They lost twenty eight to sixteen. 
to uh, a Duquesne team that 28, only 28, 26. 28, 26. They missed a two-point conversion. 28, 26. Right. I, I, That's I the beer talking, Dave. That, that is the beer talking. 28, 26 to a Duquesne team that only has 40, 40 scholarship, scholarship players on the yep. team. And one of their touchdowns was a return kickoff by their running back, who who does give me – I think their two running backs are pretty talented guys. Uh, O'Shawn Allison and, and Tuggle are pretty t- – and, and we faced Tuggle the last time we played uh, Ohio. He was on the team. So a little trivia here for you on Tuggle, yeah. which Russ uh, spoke of earlier, is, is his family's from Texas. So this is the closest game he'll play this year to his family. And his mom is actually born in Lafayette. So he will have about 60 family members here for the game. And he has been to games as a, a, as a young man, as a child growing up at Cajun Field. So that's very... Fa- that's fascinating. Yeah. So you, you talked about being one on the trenches, which I, I agree. Because if you can control the line of scrimmage, you can control the game. But at the same time, Russ, again, do yourself a favor. Go listen to our interview with We're Talking with Craig Malonsaw and Russ Eisenstein uh, earlier today. Go listen to that. Russ talked about, uh, and actually it might not have been there. It might have been on Top's uh, program. But either way, he talked about how their defensive backs were the strength of the team. Mm -hmm. So do you see, if that's the case, if we can win the line of scrimmage and their strength is the defense, do you see us running the ball more here? And and the only reason I say that, a lot of, and I being one of them, think we need to be a little more balanced, but at the same time, at Nichols, I think we were 31 passing and 30 rushing, so very balanced. I think per- Nichols forced us to do that, though, because yes. they were stopping the run. Right. So, But what do you think we have to do here? I, I look at the same of what we saw two years ago where we were able to run the ball at will against Ohio, and I felt like when watching, remember I was watching the game from my television yes. set, I was not calling the game, I thought every time we dropped back to throw the football. It was a pleasant game without him, everybody. I mean, I'm <laughs> yeah. joking. Uh, no, no, you mean you're speaking your mind now that you've. Uh, uh, this you is know, number four, or number 17. But, I don't know. Who knows anymore? But um, I think every time we had dropped back to throw the ball a couple of years ago, I felt like we were overthinking it. You know, let's, let's, let's play to win the ball game. And I felt like we could have ran the ball consistently on first, second, and third down, it came away with an easy W that game. And I, 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 I expect to see a lot more of that tomorrow. I think this team has been pissed off yeah. in the short week. I really do think – I think something happened that Saturday night that we didn't – that yeah. hasn't been exposed, that we don't really know much about. But more was said, and it was almost like a funeral from what I've heard, the way it was uh, approached going back in the locker room. And I think you know if this if you want to reach your ultimate goal, you know you can't be satisfied of what happened on uh, last Saturday night. And things definitely. I, I uh, think this Cajun team has two games in a row that they they are better than the team yeah. in front of them, right? And I think this is the opportunity they can go out there and, and impose their will on on Ohio. And I think they can do it against Georgia Southern as well. The, the South Alabama game will be we'll see how that shakes out. But I think this is the. The two weeks to go out there and mm-hmm. say we're a better football team. We're going to go show people that we're not the team that, lost, that that almost lost to Nichols, and we're not the team that lost thirty-eight to eighteen to Texas. We're a better team than that. And I think these next two weeks of that. You're listening. To we're talking with Craig Malonso, Dave Amato, and uh, Chris Lano, uh, color man for the Cajuns this season. Um, we're, let's wrap this up because um, I, I loved everything we talked about tonight. Always fun. Chris, it's been too long since I've seen you. Uh, miss you, brother. Uh, but makes one of us. Uh, that makes one of us. <laughs> As he mumbles, he doesn't even have the guts to say it uh, properly. Chris, you're a lot bigger than him. I would go ahead and say. I'm not face. even. Yeah, I'm not even worried about. It. I've had a lot more to drink than he has. But uh, I, I won't mention what Chris said in the break on why he has to leave. But no. Uh, <laughs> oh, wow. We're not going there. So, uh, let's wrap this bad boy up. Talk to me here. Three things the Cajuns need to do to win the game on offense. Three things the Cajuns need to do on defense. Well, I think, one, you've got to run the football on offense, and you've got to run it at will. I wouldn't say you don't have to run it at will, but you have to run it consistently. Put it that way. Uh, on defensively, I don't think – I think you have to – you don't give up the big play to Kevin Rourke. I think he's going to take some shots down the field. And number three, and it kind of just 
ties into what I said on the first two points. Don't beat yourself. Uh, just don't don't completely erupt. Uh, uh, just don't self-destruct. If you go out there and you play your game, uh, we are the much more talented football team coming in. You know, I, I've seen the tape. It does not lie. And I think if we finally can play up to our potential, then this game can be over by the third quarter, by the end of the third period. Dave, any final thoughts? Yeah, I just have I have one small fear in this game. And, and I, I do believe, and you and I talked about it earlier, that I think the Cajuns are going to win, and I think they're going to win handily. But... Um, you know, they have a backup quarterback that is a transfer from UNLV who played at UNLV as a true freshman and was on the all-freshman team in the Mountain West Conference. And he is more of a running quarterback. And, and, and I've read a couple of their message boards that are out there calling for him to get in the game because Rourke has struggled so much early. And they expected big things out of Rourke, but he hasn't performed as well as they wanted him to. Um be careful My, of fan message boards. All no, no, no. I, 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 I know. I agree. I agree. Um, because, shout out to because, because, if you're not on there. Because right. they, they know more than the coach. Right. <laughs> right. My only fear is that this guy is talented, and if they've watched any of the two games that we've played already, right, we've been beaten by a quarterback who decides to run the ball, right? And, mm-hmm. and I know Rourke can because I know his brother did very well, but this, he seems to be more of the passing quarterback. If they go to the backup quarterback, who they seem to like a little bit, I would be a little concerned that the Cajuns have to figure out how to stop that running quarterback, specifically up the middle, because that seems where Card beat us a lot, and it seems where, uh, obviously, um, we got beat pretty badly by Lindsey Scott every time he had the opportunity to just take it up the field. So I think the Cajuns have to secure that, figure out where... How to stop that quarter. Somebody's got to keep contained, right? They've got to make sure that that quarterback is a spy, whoever the spy is, right? If it's if it's not going to be Farad Gardner this week, right, somebody has to be that spy and keep an eye on that running quarterback. But I think if they play Rourke, I, I, I like our chances better because I think Rourke is going to try to sit back there and pick us apart, and I think that's where we have the advantage. But I, I'm excited about this game. I think this is a really good one for the Cajuns to get some – confidence in there and, and on the team and, and get it going in the right direction cajun fans stay uh stay up to date with everything with we're talking but at the same time make sure you show up please stay loud and stay till the end it's it's huge we need you there uh this weekend so for uh dave amato chris lano i'm craig malonso and we're talking